Hey, this is Chelsea Field, and you are listening to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. Before there was IMDb.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah. This is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. you're willing to get smashed. You're doing pretty good under there. Never ride a Brahma bull. Strap on your seatbelt. Get ready to fly. When you can take a bus. That look like the work of two bit hoods? Yeah. Pros would have used my keys. Never rob a bank. Get back what's mine and kill these men, okay? Run by bigger crooks than you. Hey, man, that's what friendship's all about. Never resist an arresting officer. Cowboy, let's pull off some steam. We gotta talk to the man upstairs. You stand my tail. Problem. Never start at the bottom when you want a man on top. Never dive from the 20th floor. We're gonna jump. I hate you for this, Harley. I hate you, Harley! Unless the pool is full. You guys are a piece of work. Shoot him! Mickey Rourke. Don Johnson, Harley Davidson, and the Marlboro Man. Can't believe you shot me. Dustin, it's the crossover event that everybody's been waiting for. It's finally arrived. For those uh, who know the show well, our last crossover event with Podcasting After Dark uh, was back in Wraith Timber, a holiday known now around the world. Since we declared it. We pushed that hashtag hard, baby. We pushed it. <laughs> yeah, we did. We we hashed it. And uh, the the masses rejoiced. And they said, Wow, this is the uh, this is the the content I didn't know I needed, guys. Yeah, we got so many requests like, please do this again. And are you guys gonna do this again? I know that we were uh, on both pages, podcasting after dark and two dollar late fees Instagram pages, people were chiming in going you know, fantastic month of Wraith all month long. And Corey said, you know, well, we're going to, we got to do this again. And then, and why don't we do this? Why don't the, you know, Zach, you pick the movie the first time and then I'll pick the next one and Dustin will pick the one after that. And like, let's do it. It's perfect. So Corey picked the movie. Corey, Corey Stevenson's joining us. Uh, Sleazy C. (laughs) What's up? Beautiful, bodacious co-host of Podcasting After Dark. Welcome to $2 Late Fee, Corey. <laughs> Welcome back, Corey. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, the the Wraith Timber thing that that went over so well. Uh, the fans loved it. Just you know, knowing the the analytics on on podcast after darks and it did very well for us. So uh, and besides, it was just so much fun to kind of have that whole like whole month dedicated to one thing like that. So definitely excited to do it again with you guys. Will it be as <laughs> we'll have as much legs as the Wraith. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> before before we announce it, well, everyone knows what this is because it's in the show notes yeah. and the logo and everything. I, I just want to have a quick little update from uh, the Wraith Timber. A little bit of fun fact news. So we have a, uh, on, on $2 lay fee, we have a new listener. Goes by Chris uh, Squints604. And he, his uncle played on the where's the fire song with tim feehan oh he chimed in uh dustin had made a uh uh wraith uh crush wednesday a little reel on our instagram and he chimed in and said that his uncle had played on that song his uncle has his uncle has since passed but his uncle also collaborated with Tim Fian on a kind of yacht rock song from the 70s called Leaving for Maui. Hmm. Um, I, I believe the band's called Footloose. So you guys should go on YouTube and check it out. It's called Leaving for Maui by Tim Fian. I, I do love me some yacht rocks. Chris, if you're out there listening, thank you. Thank you, Chris. Uh, rest in peace to your uncle. I was originally going to open this episode up singing to you guys, but I'll save that for later, perhaps, <laughs> because uh, we are. I am going to probably sing a note or uh, a line or two from one of my all-time favorite karaoke songs. Oh, so. very cool. Oh, that sounds <laughs> terrible. Um, I mean, awesome. That Wait awesome. till I Did sing I say it. terrible? I meant awesome. Awesome. I, <laughs> terrible came out, but... What I meant was awesome. That sounds awesome. This could this could be quite possibly our most controversial episode oh because uh, just... I think I think all three of us have really strong feelings about Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. 1991's Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. <laughs> yes, Say that I, five I, times fast. I feel like uh, just it, you know, if you're new to the show, if you're just joining us, uh, we have a very specific format, Zach and I, uh, where we. We don't, we don't, we don't get into the, we, we don't get into the nitty gritty per se. We talk about, you know, some overarching bullet points. We talk about a song from the movie and then we kind of share some, some facts from the year the movie came out. And today our special guest is Sleazy C, Corey from the other podcast that Zach uh, co-hosts, Podcasting After Dark. And over there, you guys break it down. You break it down to Chinatown, you go, you go get all the nitty gritties in (laughs) all the nitty gritties in. So if you are just listening for the first time, what you're, you're getting is something extra special because you're getting, there's going to be two episodes devoted to Harley Davidson and the Marlboro man. The first one being this one, 
But then you should also go over to Podcasting After Dark, where we get really, uh, I imagine I'm going to get really agitated, but um, just <laughs> the nature of the movie, spoiler alert. But uh, but yeah, so they're, they're, they're companion pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, and that is a, a once a once in a in a blue moon situation. So so welcome all new listeners to this special. It's an event. It's an event. And and for better or worse, we are going to be living with Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man for quite a few hours at this point moving forward. And that also includes editing time for this episode, editing time <laughs> for the next one. It's going to be maybe more hours than the movie ever deserves. Yeah, but. I do have a feeling it's going to be a fun, fun discussion of both both times, this one and the next one. Well, and not to not to forget, also at the end of this month, pulling up the rear, if you will, will be our interview with Chelsea Field, who is well, she's billed in at least on IMDb. She's the third billed actor in this film. You guys know her from a lot of other stuff, and we'll get into that when her interview drops. But look for that interview to drop at the end of the month on Podcasting After Dark and $2 Late Fee, because she, Corey, joined us for that as well. We had a riveting discussion with Chelsea about Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. And we'll probably take some of the knowledge that she laid on us into our breakdown and this discussion. But yeah, you'll get it straight from, from her mouth at the end of the month. You know, one of the most famous lines from this movie, if you want to call it famous uh, or well known, is uh, Mickey Rourke's "It's better to better be dead and cool than alive and uncool." And I was going to start by saying, "It's better to be dead and cool than alive and have Mickey Rourke's career post Harley Davidson in the Marvel." Oh boy! Oh man! Oh boy! I wonder if he could go back in time. I wonder if he could go back in time, knowing how he feels about this movie knowing that he would go on to make movies far worse than this, right? Knockoff, for example, with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oof, yeah. Uh, and, and Dennis Rodman, I think it's, is that the one? Or Double Team. No, Double Team, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Those were dark anyways. times for JCVD. That's that's when I was, I wasn't in JCVD at that point. I had tapped out. Well, Double Team was the one where, like, the cocaine was in the pants or something like that, I think. They were designer jeans that had, like, drugs in them. Um, <laughs> they were made of cocaine? Yeah, well, like you washed them. I haven't seen it in decades, but you washed them, I think, and that's the cocaine comes out of it or something do, like. That. Do you do you own it? No, I don't own oh, that. That was man. I was like, nope, nope. Gonna not have you going to put that, that one road. on as a reference right now. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, it, it's do you, what do you guys think? Uh, obviously, Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man. It's Don Johnson, Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke has gone on record to say this was he did this for the money and it was an embarrassment. Yeah. What are your thoughts? On the movie or just on his that trajectory or how it affected his career? His trajectory. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think this movie helped it. I think, uh, although I don't think it hurt Don Johnson at all, um, but no. it, as far as Mickey Rourke goes, yeah, I don't think this movie helped him in, in a way that I think, like, behind the scenes. And also, again, knowing what we know about things from Chelsea Field, I and also knowing that, like, when you make a movie— you know, you're working like 12 hours a day, seven days a week for multiple weeks at a time. There's a reason guys and gals who have a reputation of being hard to work with, at some point, people just stop working with them because you just work too many hours to deal with an asshole like that. So I don't know if it's actually the movie itself does does damage to him because he's actually not bad in the movie. I don't but think so. I don't think the behind the scenes of how he handled this film helped his career any. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, 
I'm not I'm not operating on the mindset of like, oh, I'm gonna save my harshest feelings for our other our other episode breakdown. Um, I think that's just <laughs> going to naturally happen. But uh but I do feel like the question of you know, from other podcasts, sometimes they say, you know, we all know how did this get made. Uh, the question could be asked, why did this get made? Yeah. Um, I, we talk a lot of, on here about nostalgia being one hell of a drug. This, this is, this was like a, like a, like a weird fever dream or something. Because I've certainly seen this, but when I revisited this, I was like, what the hell is this? You're kind of taking the words right out of my brain. So like Zach said, I picked this one. And truth be told, this was one of the movies that me and Zach like originally incepted the show with. Like we knew Whoa, we were going to really? get to this at some point because yep. and I was like, ah, I'm Howard Davis and Marlboro, man. I love that movie as a kid. But Dustin, like you said, I watch it now and I'm like, was I an idiot? Like, like, or did I just, I think I only watched it once, found it entertaining enough and truth be told, probably fell in love with Don Johnson. And then over time, it just clouded my memory. And I'll give you the exact example in my head when they're, they're robbing the, the car, um, the armored car, and then big John stud comes in and slides his bike. And then the, the guys, the bad guys with the trench coats jump over it in my head. They do like an awesome in unison jump in reality. It looks like trash, but in my head (laughs) it was fantastic. And I, and and I, and I watched it today right before we recorded this. And in my head, I can, I still have that image in my head. I'm like, why is it not the same? Like, why am I not seeing what yeah. was in my head? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I may be the only one out of the three of you, a three of us, that actually still enjoys this movie overall. Um, I remember seeing it in the theater, loving it, being so excited, Also, but also being disappointed in parts as well. And I still feel that same disappointment in certain scenes where I'm just like, oh, man, oh, that did not fire. But this movie to me... It's like those um, clip collage videos that people make on YouTube where they take the best scenes from the 80s and put a great song against it. And you go, wow, yeah, I remember that scene. Oh, I remember that scene. But then those movies, some some of those movies kind of suck, actually, or they're not that great. And this is this is that kind of movie for me where there's scenes in the movie where I go, oh, I love that scene. Oh, I love that moment. Oh, I, I love the way he looks in that cool leather jacket. But then I go, yeah, but then there's a bunch of scenes that suck too. So it's not a it's not a yin-yang balance thing, but there's enough positive scenes for me in this movie where I go, yeah, I'll give it a pass. I, I still enjoy it. And, and I don't want to come in totally saying that I, I dislike this movie because I think that there's a lot of fun to be had in it and there's a lot of parts that I actually really do like. And I, But I think we're going to need to do the breakdown to sort of get into those and everything. Yeah. But for yeah. me, the ultimate, it, it just doesn't coalesce into a movie that I particularly like overall enjoy. But it has a lot of little parts that I do think are pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Um, Corey, if you were going to give the elevator synopsis of this movie, what, what, what would it be to you? Because I don't think I could give one. Two guys try to save their pseudo foster dad's bar. 
and end up getting everybody killed, then have to exact revenge on the people who killed all their all of their friends and family surrogates. Um, that's amazing, Zach. Could you do one without the spoilers? Um, <clears throat> two best buds go on a wild ride for their life, a la Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm. Yeah, that's a little too optimistic. I think that's I don't even I don't even see them as best buds, honestly. I don't see them as you know. That's that's interesting though. Um that that's kind of cuz that's cuz that's kind of the young, you know, idealistic, you know, that's that's young Zach talking. Yeah. Young Zach pretty much uh, dominates $2 late fee yeah. and podcasting after dark for the most part. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, the, 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 the cool guys. I mean, I feel like we should just get into this. I, I don't know that I could describe exactly what this movie, I mean, I, I, Corey, I love your description. I really do. I, I think that is indeed accurate. I just don't know if somebody was like, what's it about? What, how could I describe it without being a spoiler? Yeah. I don't think I could. And it's and it's like one of those weird movies where it's a, it's sort of billed as being fun, but then yeah, they get all of their friends killed. Killed. And I'm just yep. like, hmm, I just don't I don't love that tonal <laughs> shift, to be honest with you. Like yeah. if you're gonna be a fun zany movie, then be a fun zany movie, right? Don't kill everybody off. You know, a little bit of a, a reveal or a little bit of a spoiler for the Chelsea Field interview. Uh, she talks about when she read the original script, it looked a lot different than what you eventually saw on screen. Original script written by Don Michael Paul. And uh, if you guys listen to our Nestor Serrano interview, and we talked about the Hat Squad with him on that, Don Michael Paul was in the show The Hat Squad um, and after this movie came out. So he made this movie in 1991. The Hat Squad didn't Get, didn't premiere, I think, until like 1992. Corey and I talked about the Hat Squad on TV Obscura on Podcasting After Dark. A lot of crossover there. It was the very first TV Obscura mm. episode, the the only one that uh, Diallo isn't on. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and, and Don Michael Paul is kind of a hunky guy. He's been in a slew of great 80s movies uh, and 90s movies. And then he, he like segued to... Uh, script writing for a little bit and then he directs movies nowadays but you know it's kind of an interesting time for a guy who was like on screen all the time to have a screenplay come out and apparently the screenplay was the original script was better than what wound up on the screen that that makes sense um one of my biggest things that that kind of throws me off and well i'd say two things one is their ability to jump around between Colorado, Vegas, and L.A. within what is clearly like two hours, right? Um, and then the weird alternate reality Burbank. Like, why? Like, what? And even to the point where it's so not Burbank that they have to even have a line in the movie addressing it. Like, what happened to Burbank? Oh, it turned into like, it's like, <laughs> why are we? What just shooting Burbank? Why? Why did you even create this? So is why the not? whole is the whole movie an alternate reality? Yeah. You know, like yes. Dustin. Five years in the future, Dustin. What are your thoughts on the alternate reality aspect of this film? Well, so just commenting about your your initial sort of geography thought, I still don't know where they are for most of this movie. Like, <laughs> you know, other than the points where they're like, oh, going to Vegas. Go, you know, going to Burbank, like, I don't know where Mickey Rourke starts the movie off. I really don't. He's driving through all these things that look like Southern California. 
he's meeting up in one place. None of what you're talking about, the, 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 the hybrid reality of having Burbank be like this weird underbelly city or something, it doesn't serve any purpose at yeah. all. It doesn't serve the story. Uh, it doesn't serve, um, it doesn't, I don't know. It, it don't only know. serves to confuse. Uh, yes, it really does. And the popping back and forth, even the, even like, why even have so many locations? Yeah. To yeah. this. It, it does officially take place in Tucson, Arizona in the beginning of the movie. Okay. That's where he is? Harley, okay. Harley's apartment's in Tucson, Arizona. Yes. Okay. okay. And, and how do you know that? Um, I cheated on this one. Okay. And I went to IMDb. Okay. And so... Because I was like, it's got to be New Mexico, right? Now it's Tucson, Arizona. And I do think she mentions, he mentions somewhere in the movie that he, I think uh, Don Johnson asks where he was been. He's like, oh, I've been in somewhere. I didn't pay attention, but I do think they say it. But I don't think he says Arizona, right? I thought they said, I thought he said he was like in West Texas or something. Like, you know, it didn't, I don't remember it being Arizona, but then, yeah, it just, but it also just doesn't look like it. it it's just, it's weird. Right. Again, it's like, what's the point? Like, in it's one of those movies where it actually needs location titles. Like it needs to have it something does. on the film it telling does. us where we are, where we're going to go, because it all looks too, too deserty. It all just looks the same, you know? That would be so helpful. <laughs> yes. Would you like the address yes. of Harley's house? Of course. Apartment? Wait, but you're, are you talking about like the actual location, filming locations? Yes. Or where, where the movie's supposed to be? So... Uh, if you go to the filming locations on IMDb, it says Harley's opening credits apartment at the Alamo okay. Apartments. Yeah, and they right, give the but, address. But there that too. doesn't that doesn't mean that that's where it's supposed to take place in the story, though. Right. Yeah. No. No. I I always assumed it was like New Mexico or something like that. That's what I. That's that's where I, I built a whole storyline in my mind. You know how Corey Corey world builds mm-hmm. with his movies to make them more enjoyable for him. I world build the hell out of this movie down to the point that I had made GI Joes look like the characters from this movie. Oh no! This is your hardware, isn't it? It is my hardware. <laughs> oh no! I love this movie so much. Hey, you know what? And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to take the joy yeah, away from no, it. No, but we're gonna. No. And we're gonna talk like open. But you know, like guys and gals, you you listen to podcasts after dark. Two dollar Lafey. We don't crap on a lot of movies. We try to find the love, but. I'm gonna. This one's gonna be a balance, though. Not gonna yeah. lie, this is gonna be a bit of a balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, okay. So, but what we're saying is, we don't know when the movie starts. We're introduced to Mickey Rourke's character. It's the first thing we see. And again, we're not gonna break this down, but just just to talk about the geography for a second, we see yeah. him staring out the window. There's some ch- cheesy radio. DJ that comes on like, hey, kids and kitties, there's a new drug on the street and it's taken down the city. And like, you know, you it's called, uh, what's it called? The cosmic death or, or. Oh yeah. What was it like? Pretty eyes or something like that. It's almost right? not, it's almost doesn't matter because it's yeah. not even really relevant to anything. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you. this is one of those movies where it's about drugs, but it's not. But it's Crystal not. Dream. Weirdly. Isn't it called Crystal Dream Cri- or something? Crystal yeah. Dream. And you yeah. take it in your eyeballs. You put it in your eyeballs and, and of you course, don't even see anybody no one, do that. No one does that. Yeah. How could you set up something cool like that and then ha- not have anyone do it? Yeah, that's kind of like, 
like in like in Lethal Weapon, the first one, right? It's like his that guy's daughter commits suicide. They're trying to find the people who who are delivering this drugs, but it was like the drug is a part of the story. Yep. Here, it's like some kind of it's just a MacGuffin. Like it has no actual yeah. yep. point to it. It's just a MacGuffin, and and it's weird because yeah, it's it's. This movie has a very weird story structure. Uh, the the, the movie mm-hmm. itself, yep. the story structure is as weird as they're hopscotching around the lower part of the country. Yes. Can we link this movie th- to Breaking Bad, though? Because it's blue. It's kind of like meth. It's kind of like a meth-looking drug, and it's blue. And can we say that it's Walter White got the inspiration from watching Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man? You can, can s- we? say whatever you want, buddy. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. No, I agree. I agree. It's uh yeah, the, the the they don't give you any sort of sense of direction other than you know, uh, when he gets the when he gets the Burbank and and the the location of the bar where all the buddies hang out. Um and and yeah, it feels like so much either with left on the chopping block, cutting room floor or so much potentially was in the original script and like, oh, this could have been great. And then the director's like, no, 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 we got to We got to make this more exciting. We got to make that more exciting. Chop this, chop that, choppy, chop it, chop, chop, chop. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's, it's, it's interesting. What the movie does do right though, is I love how it portrays Harley Davidson and the Marlboro man. They, they're the main, they're the fucking title of the movie. And my God, at least get them right. And I do think that they did. I Oh, yeah. Don Johnson, just going to table that for a second because I'm just going to explode all over him. Um, but <laughs> uh, Mickey Rourke as Harley Davison, I like what he's doing in this movie. Um, I like the fact that like he can't shoot. I, I like that. I think those are really cool, neat little character choices. He looks awesome with that suit and everything. He, he comes off as a badass. Um, I do enjoy him. Don Johnson just drips sex, and I'm just like, I want to just merge with him, just sexually and non-sexually. Just, I want to be him and also be inside him. He's just, yeah. I can't believe it. He's just such an amazing man. And honestly, for me, the movie is carried with them. But then, on the flip side of that coin, you have Fat Baldwin, the doughiest of Baldwins, and he is so non-threatening. And then you have Tom Sizemore as the main villain, Tom Sizemore, great actor, threatening actor. I my buddy lived in an apartment complex with him. Would always have to walk over his passed out body in the hallway, you oh, know. God. But Jesus. <laughs> but he has no. He's not threatening at all in this movie. So movies where the villain, the the two villains are completely just they don't feel scary at all. I yeah. think just neuters the threat level to this film. Yeah, you know, you're not wrong. I would say. Um just to kind of bring everybody into the, maybe the overview of the cast. Cause there's a lot of interesting cast members, ones that, you know, do appear, uh, yeah, we got to bring that up back in our, uh, in our, in our contemporary lives. But yeah, just so the overview is Mickey Rourke, Harley Davidson, Don Johnson, sexy Don Johnson, who, by the way, you know, watched this with my wife, Erin. And she was like, I have never found Don Johnson to be hot. She's like, he's hot. And I was like, yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. <laughs> he is hot. Chelsea Field plays Virginia Slim. You, you can sense a theme with the characters being, being named. Um, you know, you mentioned Breaking Bad, Zach. We've got um, Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this funny, funny little role. 
Um, Jimmy Giles. Jimmy Giles. I guess I should probably know what I'm talking about when I start referencing things. Um, that always helps. But uh, who, who else we got that's that's on there? Oh, uh, you, oh, right. So Big John so, Stud. Big John Stud and Vanessa Williams and Robert Gindy and Tierra. Tia Carrera for no reason at all in this weird role, but um, Robert Ginty for no reason at all. Vanessa Robert Williams Ginty for no, for reason, no at reason at all. But um, okay, but Eloy Casados for no reason at yeah. all. No. But wrapping back up to your point, Corey. So yes, um, when I saw Tom Sizemore, I was actually confused about what was happening because he's simultaneously a legit banker, but also an underhanded like. There's shady shit happening, but it's happening out in the open. Yeah. And he's in this giant high rise. At, but like, so there was a lot of confusion for me because uh, Fat Baldwin is always clearly a villain because he's wearing the, the outfit. <laughs> the, tr- the weird Daniel Baldwin. The weird yes. Matrix trench coat outfit. But then, yeah, I was like, there must be someone higher than Tom Sizemore. He can't be the guy. Because he just seems like the banker who's taking the fall, or he's the facade, he's the, he's the front, he's the, but no. And and were there a sequel? I'm sure they would be going after the person that was above right. time size more. Now I will say I do like when he was like, "Look, I get I make like five hundred thousand dollars a year managing this bank, but I make like five million a year doing the drug stuff out <laughs> right. of it." You know, and right? I was like, but out of his out of out his of the bank, bank, straight out in the open, yeah, out yeah. of his bank office where there's security cameras everywhere, and yeah, it just seems like this isn't covert. Sounds like drugs have become a little bit more mainstream or accessible based on the fact that they got the radio DJ in the beginning of the movie kind of like hyping it up on the air. Hey, everybody, listen to this. There's this great new drug. You know, we can play that clip. About, of course, wiped out the ozone layer. Uh We we, we live under a continual first aid smog alert, and there's a brand new drug. I don't know if you heard this by now. Check this out. You ready for this? There's a new drug out there for the kids of America to bury themselves with. It's called Crystal Dream. Can you believe it? Okay. Now listen to this. You, you don't drink it. You don't smoke it. You don't snort it. And you don't shoot it. What do you do? I know you're asking. You're, what do you do with this thing? Well, what you do is you put it in your eyes, and apparently it, it tells you lies. All right? I'll tell you, all this decadence, and we still haven't nuked ourselves out of here. It's, it's amazing. With a little luck and a whole lot of hope, I think maybe the human race might live to see another 220 years. And with that in mind, happy birthday, America! But uh, it's so ridiculous because... Okay, is it is is that the thing that's he's able to do this out in the open and he's able to get away with it? Because you never really see outside of Virginia Slim, who plays a cop, uh, Chelsea Field, you don't see any real cops uh, in this movie kind of interjecting at all, right? Because it's, it's not a cop movie, but it should be. You know what I mean? Like it has all the cop movie tropes to it, yeah. but they're not cops. They're kind of bumbling morons. Yeah. Um, and... And I'm actually completely dust and stuck on this thing of, of not actually seeing the drugs happen. Like, no one actually does the drug in this movie, and they set up the drug being so cool. So cool. Where you drop it yeah. in your eye, and you do all this and that. And now I'm just, now I'm even hung up on the fact that you never even see the drugs being taken. Like, again, the drug, it's just a MacGuffin. It has really nothing to do with the plot of the movie. It was just a, something to move things forward and to get people into positions. But it's sad because they gave such a cool sort of story yeah. to the drug. Right. And we had to know that it was valuable. 
that that what they had was valuable. Yeah, yeah. I think even the whole uh, underlying plot of them getting the money, having to their all their friends getting wasted. I think all of that was just the move, the plot along of these two main characters eventually getting to where they're supposed to get in their life. Uh, you know, having Marlboro Man change his lifestyle and go back to his days in the rodeo, which he's really good at, you know? I think that that's, I think everything else was just like, meh, fluffing to get, have them have their scenes together and get them to the end. So the universe fucking murdered like 10 people, good guys, bad guys, innocent <laughs> bystanders, friends, family, just to get Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man to better their their lives to like better so. <laughs> better characters yeah i think it's a cruel world i think uh you know it's a statement <laughs> wow <Okay>. yeah <laughs> maybe i'm just speculating I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah no no i'm dude I, no I'm, I'm with you man it's it's the, the universe is a bastard because <laughs> if you think about it the scenes they have together are so they're meant to be comical right and 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 everything else around them is so dramatic and so intense but the scenes they have together are very comical. The the scenes they have together are my favorite scenes. The scenes that it's just the two of them are my yeah. favorite scenes in the movie. Like when they're sitting on the billboard talking. Did you ever wonder there could be something better? <laughs> Every day. No, I don't mean like that. I mean something. Something different. Talking about heaven? I mean like, I mean like God. You didn't go and get religious on me now, did you? No, man, but I mean, just think about it. If, if, there, is a, if there is a heaven and a God, yeah, I'd like to meet the dude. You know, I'd like to go up there and hang out with him. Well, you ain't gonna meet God with me. I'm dead and done. I don't want no damn excuses. I, I like their rapport. It doesn't feel fully buddy-buddy like they're on the same uh, equal wavelength. And I think that uh, behind the scenes, uh, Don Johnson was a bit of a mentor to um, Mickey Rourke. And I feel like that kind of comes through in the movie. But at the same time, it's actually an endearing thing that I find for for the two characters. Well, and, and I don't want to shit on Mickey Rourke particularly um i i love the guy i think he's tr i think he's a tremendous actor uh i i idolized him as a kid hey man i love I angel a, heart dude it's a great movie yeah i had a calendar a mickey rourke calendar with 12 oh months God. of mickey from 12 oh different God. movies oh, oh my I wish I still had it. Oh my. you do have it it's somewhere in your house if we if we tossed it up we'd find that calendar could be for sure um but yeah, no, I, I, I was, I mean, I was obsessed. I wanted to look like him. I wanted to style my hair like right. him. I, I did after this movie came out. Um, and so, but what Dustin and I have heard from many people who have worked with Mickey Rourke, and then we heard it, obviously, the three of us heard it with Chelsea Field. He's not easy to work with behind the scenes. And I mean, Eric Roberts, the interview that Dustin and I did with Eric Roberts years ago, Mickey was hard to deal with when you did Pope of Greenwich Village, you know? So here we are flashing, you know, that came out in the early 80s. And here we are in 1991, still pain in the ass to work with. Sounds like he still is to this day. Uh, people have like a love-hate relationship with him. His choices he makes in this, you know, he, he, 
he's kind of he's kind of like a bumbling guy throughout. He looks really cool. He's got great style for that time. Think about it. You know, back in 1991, he looked cool. That may not that may not go over very well now, but back then I was like, that guy looks cool. Dustin, right? Dustin, you didn't like well, the uh, the biker to look. Well, I just think that this is this is why this is why Zach will not. There's no way you can't like this movie because any movie where you idolize someone in that way, you will never get beyond that unless that person actually did personal harm to you. I feel like true. That's so, true. Yeah. So it's just a, it's just a running theme, you know. It's like that guy looks so cool. I wanted to be that guy. You love that movie and you will true. always love that movie because yeah, of true. that feeling. And I'm not saying there's yeah. anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying because I feel like this movie is so confusing with Mickey Rourke's character because he's set up as the ultimate badass. The first scene we see him in, he's in a armed robbery of a convenience store where he just, the guy's got a gun in his face and he's like, man, if I had a nickel, he says something like, if I had a nickel for every time an asshole had a gun in my face, I'd be a rich man, takes out these two guys, leaves. The girl's like, hey, man, what's your name? Harley, Harley Davidson, right? Kelly who? Bon, bon Jovi is playing the whole time. We're like, wow, what a badass we're getting to. They're setting him up like he's the fucking man, this guy. And then immediately, he's not that guy at all for the rest of the movie. I get... Uh... Ten bucks on plump two. Susie? Hit the floor, asshole! Stay down! You know, this really pisses me off. Your store's got such nice, clean, filthy, fresh air, and it just takes a couple of scumbags to stink it up. I said hit the floor, asshole, or I'm gonna blow your fucking head off! You know, if I had a nickel for every time some piece of shit pointed a gun at me, I'd be a rich man. I'm gonna cut your long, wide, and deep motorhead. Pump all the gas you can hold. That's not good business. Hey, mister. Got a name? Harley. You know, he's, and then he's like, he's actually a very vulnerable guy because he wants to, he's the one that plans this heist that they do for his friends. Oh, you're going to lose, you're going to lose the bar. I grew up here. This is like my second home. You're my second dad. I love you guys. And then he's this bumbling, not cool moron for the entire movie. And then at the end, he doesn't even really care. And then you've got Don Johnson being like, hey man, our our friends just died, asshole. Yeah, Yeah, but you know. Like what? Yeah, yeah, because you're you're right. Mickey Rourke's character you would think would be the one that is broken up over their friends dying because those are he did it for them. Yeah. But then Don Johnson is the mouthpiece for that emotional sort of arc. And it's almost like the the writers sort of forgot which character they were writing for. You know what I mean? Like they almost yeah, interswapped the characters back and forth. But I I mean I did like I do like uh Mickey Rourke's vulnerability. I did like the fact that like at first you think he's a badass and then he has all these little quirks, so he sucks at shooting. He seems to be kind of sensitive and I'm like, oh I like all of that. But then he doesn't seem to care. Like he he's almost as if his character switches halfway through the movie. And I'm like, wait, what? Like you should be caring. He should have been the 
the heart, the emotional centerpiece, but it's almost it gets picked up and moved between Don Johnson and it's almost like the movie doesn't know who the main character is. Right. And they don't know who to give the arcs to. Right. And the writing yeah. isn't good enough to sort of f- to do it for both of them. So it's like, I'm going to flip-flop back and forth, you yep. know? Well, I wonder if that was the fault of Mickey Rourke. Because we know, because and Chelsea will tell the story, we know that he made some choices on his own to do certain things to go yeah. another way. And Dustin... You and I both know that, like, we cut it from the interview because it was a little too kind of controversial, but uh, Eric Roberts was basically saying the same thing about Mickey Rourke. He would show up on set doing something, and the director's like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, I want to do this. And the director had no choice other than to let him do it. So he makes you wonder, was he pulling shit on set? Yeah, probably. Because of his status? Because let's, let's also, you know, call out the fact that in 1991... Mickey Rourke was still considered like one of the best actors yeah. on screen at that time. He was he could do no wrong. I mean, the guy was in he had just did uh I think um Johnny Handsome, which is a Walter Hill movie, really cool movie, Barfly. Right? Is Johnny like, Handsome the one where he kinda like his face gets messed up and then gets plastic surgery or something? Yeah, so he has a messed up face, a disfigured face, okay. and then gets plastic surgery and looks like Mickey Rourke. And Lance Henriksen's in it. Ellen Barkin. It's a great um, crime. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's in it. I watched that uh, one. Morgan with, Freeman. I watched that one with my dad back in the day. I, I remember it. Great movie. I, I still I love that movie. But um, but but you know, Mickey Rourke could do no wrong. And Don Johnson was not. I wouldn't say he was on fire uh, on screen, uh, like on the big screen. You know, Miami Vice had ended uh, in the in the kind of mid to late 80s right and then nash bridges hadn't started yet don johnson was in this weird phase of doing like dead bang which i love but he wasn't doing like blockbuster movies at this point yeah why why was that like you watch this and i'm even going to rewind a little bit and uh my wife and i watched uh, the first season of of that Watchmen show on hbo you know he was in it yeah. he was kind of in it briefly and i don't want to spoil anything because it's only a couple of years old and it's a great show you should watch it but he's in the first episode and he, he's older and everything but like it was one of those things where i was like I haven't seen this guy in like 20 years in anything and he still looks amazing. And I remember looking to my wife and I was like, give that man a series. Like, why is he not working constantly? And then I watch this movie and I'm just like, there's just very few people in this world that just ooze what he can ooze. Like as far as charisma goes and everything. And it's just like, but why did it not propel him to a bigger movie career. And I do know Zach offline. We were talking one time. You're like, well, Nash Brigadier came along and kind of like tethered him to TV at this point. But why didn't like the movie career take off before this? You know, like why? When I look back on Don Johnson's movies, this is kind of like what I always think of first as far as movies go for mm-hmm. him. Well, let me just point out really quick that, um, you know, Miami Vice ended in 1989. Mm. He did a movie right after that called Dead Bang, which I just referenced yeah. a minute ago. Really great movie, by the way. I love that movie. I've seen uh, it. I liked it too. White supremacist pieces of shit. It's great. Um, and then he did The Hot Spot, the Virginia Madsen movie. Isn't Jennifer Connelly's in that? I think she's nude and that's the, the that's the claim to fame. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what it's kind of known yeah. for. It's But it's like a Southern Gothic noir film, right? Okay. Then he does Harley. Then he does Paradise with uh, his then wife at the time, Melanie Griffith, and 
Elijah's Wood, um, a kind of coming of age movie. And then he does Born Yesterday, uh, which with John Goodman and again, his wife, Melanie Griffith. Um, and then he does Guilty as Sin. And like he kind of, I don't know, from that point on, things kind of trickle down. Um, he doesn't do a whole lot of stuff. And then he does Nash Bridges in 96. So, I mean, he was in Tin Cup. So, golf. I know people like that golf movie, Tin Cup. But. So, it's his agent's fault because it sounds to me yeah. like the, aside from Dead Bang, you know, like, this is probably like the biggest, ex- most exciting thing that, that I think with the mainstream audience would sort of know him at the time, you know, mm. like this is the kind of stuff that I figured you should be doing to kind of raise your, your stardom up. Do you think if this movie was, was well received and, and did well, uh, it would have changed his tra- trajectory. I mean, we're talking about, yes. uh, Mickey Rourke's trajectory at the beginning. Like did this also damage Don Johnson's as well? It's possible. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would say you don't, I agree with you. I don't, I think that Harley and, and Dead Bang are like, for me, the only two movies I would immediately think of. Maybe The Hot Spot on top of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like the guy is still working today. Uh, yeah. He's the best part of Django Unchained, in my opinion. Agreed. <laughs> and he looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a dude that is aging fantastically. You know, the other side of that coin is Mickey Rourke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's unrecognizable. From, yeah, from absolutely. Yep. <laughs> but you know what? One thing I always hear as a constant with that guy, and, and I don't want to harp on this too much because I know I kind of have been, but uh, as much as like people say, oh, he threw his career away or he did this, he made this bad choice. But people always come back, but he's such like a, at the end of the day, he's like a sweetheart guy too. And I'm like, is he just like this big kid that never grew up? Are you talking about Don Johnson? No, I'm talking about Mickey Rourke. Oh, okay, okay. You know, is he like this big kid that never grew up and maybe never got a handle on who he is as a human, you know? Yeah, yeah. Too lost in his roles. A lot of trauma in there, for sure. Yeah. Probably. And I mean, also too, He's an artist, you know. You, you see these guys. You play. They're playing tough guys in the in on screen, but they're all artists at heart. And we all know because we're all artists. We're we're all sensitive, and all we all deal with like things differently. And I think that probably he's looks tough on the exterior. He's probably a sensitive artist on the inside, and has to just push it down. And then it bubbles up in weird outbursts you know of showing up on set at a weird time because he probably felt some awkwardness about something i'm just i'm yeah. giving the guy the benefit of the doubt and saying that yeah. i'm hoping that he it's because he's a sensitive artist he could just be an asshole but yeah. you're saying that people you know say he seems nice but it's funny i have never heard that i've only ever heard about on set of how he is but maybe yeah. offset when he's not actually working he's a completely different person that's a complete possibility I mean, that's what I've heard. But then the flip side to that, and that's where there's a little bit of a emotional pull for me as well, is the Don Johnson side. So my stepdad had that kind of full beard like Don Johnson has in this and kind of longer hair. And he had really shitty boots that he wore all the time that were covered in duct tape. And that looked like they would fall apart if you pulled on them the wrong way. Mm. So I think there was this, there was this mm-hmm. weird connection with me in that, um, you know, I didn't look at my stepdad and think Don Johnson, but I was like maybe associating this father type figure. And he and Don Johnson has like they both have heartfelt moments in this movie, Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson. Uh, the the scene that he has with Chelsea Fields, 
where or Chelsea feel where he's, you know, kind of confessing his love to her and so to speak. And that, uh, that's a really heartfelt, sweet moment. In my opinion, one of the best moments of the movie acting wise. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's another reason why this movie kind of pulls me in. Cause I'm just like those guys, again, like Dustin said, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting with these people and it's like, I can't let go of, I can let go of the fact that there are really shitty moments in this film that, that, or bad, <laughs> but, but, but the ones that are stand out to me, the positive moments overtake the negative. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I felt bad for uh, Virginia Slim's, uh, you know, fiance had having to deal with all that totally drama. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be honest. You know, Corey and I just discussed a movie the other night about a guy being a total douchebag. Um, I mean, Virginia's like she's got a fiance and she just leaves the guy out there she's kind of being a douchebag a little bit a little bit yeah. you know <laughs> to me i i feel like what don johnson's doing to her is is unfair and i also i also didn't think it was real so like you found okay. it heartfelt and i found it to be bullshit i found it to be <laughs> because because here he is kind of at his lowest point yeah. and now he needs her yeah you know and he knows she's not available and that's why he's doing it because i think if she was single he wouldn't be hanging out with her you don't and, think so? Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, I have feelings about that scene too, but it's only because I freaking adore that song Hardline uh, by Waylon Jennings. And I just, I love like, like, you know, how it made that, that scene work and everything. So it's funny because I think we all have very strong opinions on that one particular scene, which is a microcosm of the film itself, but we all have very <laughs> yeah. different feelings yeah. about it. <laughs> Though I want you so to stay I'm standing on the hard line Taking my sweet time Praying that you see why I'm slow to change Been fighting on the front line Victim of a hard crime Just can't let you steal my Away Offline, you had brought up that you love that song a lot, and then you had mentioned that it was written by what, Richie Havens, Ri right? Yeah, Richie Havens originally, and then the version that's in the movie uh, is Waylon Jennings. And, you know, it's... Because it, I know we're, we're going to talk about more music in the film, but for me... I like I just love it when a song just works so well with a scene and in this scene like I like how they kind of just they slowly raise the the volume of the of the mu music during the the course of it and everything. it just works so so well with it um but it's it's completely different than wanted wanted dead or alive by you know Bon Jovi and everything but I did love it I actually really liked Hardline by Waylon Jennings in this movie well, I, I think um, Richie Havens is a really talented musician in his own right. He does a version of Here Comes the Sun, which is phenomenal, by the way. It's just almost, it's it's a totally different take on the original Beatles version. Okay. Um, worth checking out. But, I mean, it's Waylon Jennings. He's kind of like a country legend, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. and and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, Dustin. I totally feel you on that. I would piggyback on that as well and say, uh, I, I've, I've personally known people that in their lowest point have, have gone to girls just like to get that fix or whatever. And I'm like, man, that's so fucked up. So I totally agree with what you're saying too. And I think I just took it from that 
from that 15 year old vibe of of like is this gonna be me someday goo goo gaga this movie i do believe was made for 15 year old boys yeah yeah that's fair but yet has very little nudity in it and <laughs> oh but it's got some nudity <laughs> it, 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 it does it does yeah. but it also has more robert ginty than than i was expecting but yet also not enough Robert Ginty to to warrant Robert Ginty. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the cameos? Some of the small cameos, like Robert Ginty. You guys, if you don't know who Robert Ginty is, shame on Listen you. Listen to we, a podcast after dark episode. Yeah, we we covered the Exterminator uh, in season one. Hmm. Zach broke that one down, and that was my uh, first experience with with Ginty, the Gintinator. And uh, so imagine my shock when when I saw his name pop up on at the beginning of this movie. And then you don't see him until uh, the last five minutes of the film. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everybody. I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. An actor that both Dustin and I adore, who's in the beginning of the movie, who uh, legitimately got knocked out apparently with the cue ball when he got hit in the head with it by John Johnson. Yeah. Branscom Richmond. Dustin, you love that guy, don't you? I, I enjoy his work. I enjoy his work. I think. Um, you know, he's an actor who uh, has been very typecast, usually as the guy who's like yelling something in a bar, you know, but it's also funny because he he also gets cast in various, um, you know, he's an, he's an all-encompassing actor, so he can play Native American, he can play, uh, you know, Hawaiian, he can play Samoan. In um in the perfect weapon, he's Korean apparently. Uh, mm-hmm. he's yelling something at Jeff Speakman in an all Korean bar, and he's like the leader yep. of the gang. Um, and we're like, so he's just any 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 slightly Asian influenced uh, thing, um, you know. And I love him from Action Jackson, of course. Where's Papa Doc? Um, Papa Doc, the ball scene, the ball scene. So good. Um, but in this movie, he's just credited as Big Indian. <laughs> Just big Indian, because uh, that's how you could just credit people in the <laughs> early 90s, in 80s. Big Indian. Because fuck everybody. Fuck everybody <laughs> that's not white. And I'm saying that sarcastic. I'm saying that from yeah. a, from Hollywood's point of view, basically. No, I mean, know? that's how it operates. And then and then you've got uh, just Stacey Elliott as Indian's girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's it's so weird. All these little, not little, just these these big names popping up in these roles, like Kelly Hugh. You mentioned earlier. You know, she was uh, she played Lady Deathstrike and in, in X Men Two and everything. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Ginty, like we said, who he's just he's in it for like two minutes total. Um, and then Vanessa Williams, yeah. she's in it for again two minutes total. Uh, like and I and on top of it, I'm like I love this whole. Big John Studd is her husband, and Giancarlo Esposito is her brother. There's a great little dynamic, and they've all known each other since high school. It's uh, the 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 relationships. There was stuff to build on here, 
You know, there was places to go <laughs> and things to do. Yeah. And then they're like, no, let's, you know, what? we're going to take these interesting characters, these interesting dynamics, these interesting relationships, and we're going to kill them all off halfway through the movie. Halfway. Yeah. This movie's so weird. Yeah, I'm going to blame that on the, um, the you know, producers coming in and being like, no, no, we need more action. No, nope, nope, just kill them all. No, nope. but like I, they I'm just could gonna, have, I'm speculating. They but. could have kept them till the end and, and had like a fun, you know, dynamic, a fun, you know, Ocean's Eleven type of thing going on. But I, I get it. The movie's called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. I get it. It's not all called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. And gang. <laughs> well, I'm I'm having a moment right now. I, I I can't cite specifics, but I have a really strong feeling about movies in the late 80s, early 90s using that kind of um, using similar that similar trope where you kill everybody off except for the one guy or the two guys. Right. The buddies. If it's a buddy cop movie, you kill everybody else off or you just write everybody else off. But you've got these interesting characters uh, or in like a, a, a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger, you kill everybody off. It's like the predator effect. I'm like, you had to kill every single one of the mer- uh, awesome, badass mercenaries in Predator. I get it. I get why. And it totally works. Why? But I'm not saying Predator's as bad. Predator as sucks. But what you're it's, I find it funny that everything you're citing, it's all ca- the characters in those movies they yeah. knew what they signed up for. You know what I mean? Like True. they're cops, they're mi- military guys. Here, True. the the backbone of the, the movie is supposed to be you're you're saving this this place that means something to you. And halfway through the movie, they lose everything, and it just becomes yeah. about revenge. And I'm almost like I'm just like, you know, one you or the other. It. You know, yeah. and yeah. yes, you caused it. Yeah. At the same time, it's like you caused it too. You like, caused it. You could have just. You could have just tried to save the fucking place by having a car wash. You could have done that. But no, you decided to rob rob this this armored car thing. So it's like I'm almost like I almost take a step back and I'm like, what's the moral here? Like, what is this movie trying to, like, say, you know? Yeah, true, true. Yeah. If we could back up just to maybe catch the audience up a little bit in, in to your comic, Corey, they they have this beloved bar that Mickey Rourke is the driving force of saying, we're going to save this place. Um, you know, seconds earlier, he's just gotten the shit kicked out of him by a guy whose wife he was sleeping with or whatever complicated history, <laughs> but let's save this place. How are we going to do it? I got a plan. We got to rob an armor car. Everyone, John Johnson, who's like always the voice of reason is like, well, you're an idiot. No. And I can see where you're going with this. You want to rob this armor car, whatever there. And then, uh, everybody's kind of like, I don't know if that's a great idea. And then they come around. Yeah, great. Let's rob that armored car. You do that. Of course, we learn that they robbed the wrong armored car. They thought they were getting, they were going to rob, I think they thought they were going to rob $2.5 million. 2.5 and 50 cents. Yeah. And, uh, and of course they, they, they rob, they rob an armored car filled with this, this crystal dream. Um, and at that point they could have been like, all right, well, Let's reevaluate this because we know that the bad guys who have already just shot at us in in the middle of this robbery were clearly robbing, you know, something very valuable, but something that maybe we're in over our heads about. They say, uh, no, let's let's just go on with it. Let's just go on with it. And, and that's what leads to everybody getting killed. And you're like, of course, of course, 
you're, you're, you're babies. You're, 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 you know, you're not, you're playing in the big boy pool. And, and then yes, that is probably the logical outcome as to what would happen, but I don't know. It just left me yeah. feeling like, eh, I don't like that. Like I like, it's because I liked all of them. I don't like a single one of the bad guys. And I think for me, that's probably one of the biggest problems with the film. I don't. I don't dig on yeah. any of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Even even LaFours is in it as one of the, you know, from Mallrats, uh, Sven Olinson or, you know, right. whatever yes. his name is. Uh, he's in it. And I'm just, I can't connect with the bad guys because those trench coats, again, in my memory, they look so cool. They do not look that cool in real life when you watch this movie. Mm-mm. And it just, it makes them all look fat and bloated, even though it's like, I yeah. get it, they're supposed to be like bulletproof, but it makes them look fat and bloated. And on top of it, Daniel Baldwin already is fat and bloated. And it's just like, <laughs> yep. and I'm just like, what is happening here? Like the casting was fantastic on the good guy side. Everybody was great. I love everybody on the good guy side, but you all know. You can't have a movie with a villain if the villain is just weaker than the hero. The hero has to overcome something, and it usually has to overcome a more powerful villain. And they just—I wasn't buying it from from any of the villains here. And for me, that's the movie's biggest yeah. crime. I could overlook m- pretty much anything if I felt that the villains were were legitimately bad, legitimately scary. I yeah. never got that from this film. Uh huh. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> so to sum up, Zach, you should hate it. <laughs> I still won't hate it. You should, I still won't you should hate not it, but like I, this movie. I, I totally. If you like agree, this movie, you I, don't. I, That's what we're saying. I don't. <laughs> I don't disagree. I don't disagree with what you guys are saying. In the very least bit, uh, I will say I'll plead nostalgia is a hell of a drug as my case, and say the nostalgia for this movie uh, totally keeps me in the like category versus dislike category. Down to like the marketing of this movie. I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about the the really quick. There's a poster that came out. I had it at one point. It says Harley and Marlboro rules of the road. And we'll post this on our Instagram and you guys can check it out. But there's 10 rules um, by which you're apparently supposed to live by, according to Harley and Marlboro. You know, feel free to comment or not comment. I'll pause for a slight second so you can. If if I don't hear anything, I'll move on to the next one if it's that bad. Sure. Number one, never rob a bank by bigger crooks than you. It's reasonable. Never run a bank <laughs> okay. by a bigger crook than you. Run I mean? by? Yes. Run by? Run by a... Never rob a bank. Run by bigger run crooks by. than you. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 Yep. That, that sounds yeah. logical to me. Yep. Okay. Two, never play cowboy in a room full of Indians. Right. That's so racist. Right. Back to the Indian thing, but Branscombe was there. Is that when that line is said? Yeah. In the, no, in, no, oh, I don't think okay. so. I don't think any of these are actually said. They're not said? No, I don't think so. Oh. This should be what Don Johnson's dad, dead pappy, was, would tell yeah. him. You know, like, that's the ongoing joke in the movie. The I, the thing yeah. that doesn't work here, and, and this is this is fine, but it's it, these aren't in the movie. It should have been no. everything that Don Johnson says that his dad says to always do. I think that's I think that makes more sense if they would have gone that route. Yeah. Like my dad always said, yeah. Yeah. Number 3, never shoot pool with your own balls. Is that was that on here? Yes, that's number 3. <laughs> it's pretty funny yeah. actually. That's, that's not a good one. The, that should be in the movie for sure. <laughs> yeah, that should be in the yeah, movie. Yeah, that that's gold right there. Then <laughs> yeah. this one's a little a nod to the movie. 
Never dive from the 20th floor unless the pool is full. Yeah. Okay. This what that's not in there? Nope. Okay. Never give an inch when a two by four will do. That's dumb. That's so stupid. These are like dad jokes. That's so stupid. Because it because an inch is is a unit of measurement. Two by four is a piece of wood. They're not even like the same thing. Logic is thrown out the window. <laughs> Never pick up a girl if you can't lift her boyfriend. <laughs> okay, sure. Mm, mm, okay. Never ride which a Bronco is, wait, hold on, bull. Which is ironic because, oh. uh, you know, Harley uh, Harley Davidson does pick up Big John Stud and like body slam him. Yeah. Yes. He does. It's impressive. Yeah, it is actually very impressive. I mean, that dude is yeah. one tough mother. Big piece of meat. One yes. tough mother. And for those of you that don't know who Big John Stud is, look up Big John Stud WWF, and you'll see some of his legendary matches against Andre the Giant and winning the Battle Royal at the WrestleMania two or uh, he ran he won the first Royal Ru- no that was Hacksaw Jim Duggan he won a bunch of Royal Rumble Battle Royal matches back in the day. I like uh, I like how you said. For those of you who don't know who Big John Stud is, look up Big John Stud. <laughs> WWF on YouTube. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> no, Dustin, I, Dustin, He's a I didn't, wrestler guys. I heard it too. I was like, what? For those you know who Big John know. Stud is? Google Big John Stud. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Zach, for that tidbit of. How to he was look a big stuff. wrestler. He's a big ass dude. Yeah. For those yeah. of you that don't know, two plus two yeah. is four, and two times two is. For four. those of you who don't it. know what two plus two is. Look it up. Use a calculator. <laughs> Add it up. Count on your fingers. Figure it out. Okay. It's four. Number seven. Never ride a Bronco Bull when a bus is available. Stupid. Yes. I don't even, I don't get it. Never go into a bar unless you're willing to get smashed. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Never go. <laughs> nope. Never forget. Clothes make the man, especially when they're bulletproof. That uh, one's that one's almost like a tagline for the movie. Yep. And finally, number ten, never spit into the wind while you're on your motorcycle. That's David Letterman's top ten, everybody. Top ten. Yeah, but David shouldn't Letterman. you just never spit into the wind ever? Yeah. Wait, and, and isn't it supposed to be don't pee in the wind? Don't piss in the wind is what it don't is. Don't piss in the wind. Yeah. I guess you can't put piss on a poster. Right. So, so but but the thing is, they're, they're they're like three steps away from what the original phrase is you know yes don't piss in the wind unless you're on your motorcycle especially if you're on your motorcycle (laughs) (laughs) don't piss while you're riding your motorcycle (laughs) so i never rode a motorcycle before this movie after this movie but but i will say the opening to this movie with wanted dead or alive playing by bon jovi it's pretty fucking awesome. Regardless if this movie falls off the rails right after the movie ends or right after the song ends, this song played in this movie to me is like perfectly kind of captures the the spirit and the energy of what I was hoping the movie would be like mm. overall. Yeah, it's it's strong. The the opening for this film is very good. Um I think it's fantastic. The music absolutely helps. The movie doesn't quite reach that high ever again in the film, which is which is interesting. Um, but yep. but for the moments that it is here, it starts strong. And hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna have some dead spots, keep them in the middle. Start start a movie strong, end it strong, and people will remember it. And this movie definitely 
start strong with that song and also the cinematography, like just everything in his little hotel. The sound or design. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. And this this song fits like a motherfucker. Like it's a great fit. The guy who directed this, Simon Windsor, also directed Daryl, which we haven't talked about, but would be, I feel like, a great movie to cover. But, you know, yeah, totally. cool cool movie. Uh, Free Willy, which is so random. Quigley Down Under. <laughs> Quigley Down Under. I remember Quigley that movie. Under, little, <laughs> I think Simon, I think he's Australian. Little Tom, so he is Australian, yeah. But then uh, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles on TV, okay. which was cool. Uh, Lightning Jack, of course, Australian uh, Paul Hogan, Operation Dumbo Drop, The Phantom, Billy Zane. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just a lot of like Disney type theme. Uh, well, Lonesome Dove. He did Lonesome Dove. A lot of, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot, a lot of Crocodile Dundee, uh, Paul Hogan collaborations. Um, but I think maybe he too was like, I'm going to set up a really awesome character. <laughs> and then... You know, for who knows, for a variety of reasons, uh, just didn't, it just, it just wasn't, wasn't that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I think the opening with, with the sound of him, of him turning his, uh, his motorcycle on, you know, flipping the switches with that song playing, it just like oozes testosterone where you're just like, oh, the sound of a motorcycle engine. I can't stand the sound of a motorcycle engine going down the street nowadays or, you know, in the middle of the night, we hear a, somebody revving their engine because they think they're cool. But in this scene, in this movie, uh, it just really knocks it out of the park. And that song, it, it, I mean, that song is a classic song, a classic song of the 80s, just a classic rock song in general. But man, oh man, it just like every time I hear that song, I think of this movie, that scene particularly. Yeah, but that scene too, he starts off. Again, very cool. He's in bed. He, yeah. There's a naked woman in the bed. You know, it's kind of backlit. He's like smoking a cigarette. It happens to be 4th of July. There's fireworks going off. He's looking out the window. It's all cool. He says nothing to the girl. At, you know, he listens to the radio. He learns about the, But it's like nothing, nothing motivates anything. Again, it's like, you're like, is he hearing about the drug and he's going back? No, that's not what's going on. No. But it kind of seems that way. Like, like he's, he's gotten some information and he has to leave right now. Then he looks it's, at her. She gets up naked. She's like, oh, I guess you're going. This is, you know, with her eyes because she's not saying anything. Yeah. And then he just traverses many miles of land, wind, wind turbines. 
windmills. Probably desert. Palm Springs. Yeah. Just because he's like, I'm done with you now, to that yeah, woman, essentially. Right. right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and there's this underlying storyline about, not really, I mean, they bring it up maybe once or twice, but could have been fuel for a more emotional uh, connection to the movie of him with his uh, with his his girlfriend, his former girlfriend or his former wife or whatever. Oh, right. You know, where he's got that photo of her in his wallet. That never comes back. Always, that never comes back. There's so many things that don't the come back. The hell's that after that? Wait, but wait, you know, wait, was his yeah. former, it wasn't Vanessa Williams? It was somebody different? Well, no, she different? was, they, that, well, mm-hmm. th- that's, the, an, again, another flaw of the movie because he's carrying this ex's heart, right? He's carrying, like, his feelings for her when he gets to L.A. And then he gets to the bar, uh, his, his, his favorite bar, and Vanessa Williams is there and he's still in love with her. And so now you're going like, okay, what, what happened the to the girl he was caring about? And then at the end of the movie, the girl that he picks up on the bike looks very similar to his ex-girlfriend and and, and like her ex-wife. And then like, you know, the whole thing with like Vanessa Williams being married to, to Big John Studd's character. Um, and then the fact that like you don't ever see Vanessa Williams again, you know, like there's no ramification to her husband dying and her brother-in-law dying nope. and her father. Yeah. or I'm sorry, her brother dying and her father dying. Like it's yeah. just. It's like holy shit! But we're supposed to be talking about the music. I know, wanted dead or alive, no, but no. it's just, it's, okay. it's just, it's just interesting how just, yeah, it's almost like he has no agency over his life. He's a, he's the a will to the, you know, a pawn of the screenwriter essentially. But like, easy fix. She gets a call from Vanessa Williams saying, "Hey, my dad's gonna lose this place. Can you come?" You know, like why didn't just easy start with and that? S- you know, and switch out, switch out the photo in his wallet of, yeah. of Vanessa Williams yeah. and him. Yep. Exactly, I and mean, then have him pining for her and all this kind of stuff. It just—I I mean, watching this movie, and I'm sure we'll be able—we'll dive into it during the full breakdown of podcast after dark. But there's so many weird little fixes that I think you could have done that wouldn't change the trajectory of things, but would have made things better. Just like this, just maybe make things stronger with Vanessa Williams. You know, is it safe to assume, though, you guys? Is it safe to assume that the opening with the song "Wanted Dead or Alive"? Is that one of the best scenes in the movie? Absolutely, yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, because it sets a, it sets a it sets a bad state. I mean, like it. I'm. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so annoyed because I didn't get what I was expecting from that open and, scene. And you were, and they were, in, in the movie proved that it could give you what you wanted. Yeah, because he, the director, and the editing and everything, they did this spectacularly. Yeah. Like this was done very well, almost as if it's like they were like, let's film this and use yep. this to maybe secure funding for the rest of the movie. But then when they did, the rest of the movie became something different than what they started with. But this moment here almost like just stands alone, you know? Well, I want to add to that disappointment uh, because when the soundtrack came out, and you guys know I love my soundtracks, when the soundtrack came out, Wanted Dead or Alive was not on it. Oh my god! And it's so, such a prominent oh my song. God. I will, I will, I will. Uh, and also, I wanted to mention too uh, something about the motorcycle culture was really popular in this time during this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stone Cold had come out the same year with with Brian Bosworth, mm-hmm. big biker movie. Again, very much a flawed film where the bikers are actually the bad guys are actually cooler than Brian Bosworth himself. So 
Brian Bosworth is kind of cheeseball in that in some respects. But anyways, we might have to save that for another uh, another episode. But the, let me just go through the soundtrack of this, the actual physical soundtrack that came out and list off some of these artists and these bands and tell me if you've heard of them or not. Okay. Copperhead. Have you guys heard of Copperhead? Nope. No. Okay. Peter Frampton. Yes. Have you heard of Peter Frampton? Yes. Frampton okay. comes alive. Frampton comes yep. alive. It's what we all know. <laughs> so Steve Steve Marriott was also in uh, Humble Pie with Peter Frampton back in the 70s. So they they, they have a track on this. Um, a band called Roadhouse. Have you heard of Roadhouse? Not offhand. Okay, so Roadhouse features two members of Def Leppard. Oh, okay. Mm. The drummer? Um, shooting Gallery. Have you ever heard of Shooting Gallery? No. No. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, have you heard of L.A. Guns? Have you heard yes. of L.A. Guns? Yes. Okay. No. L.A. Guns has been around since the early 80s. They were one of the first uh, kind of iconic L.A. glam, or not glam bands, but like L.A. rock bands. Okay. And and to make sure that you all know that I'm not that cool, I think I knew L.A. Guns because of Zach. No. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. It, it, guys, if, if everyone listening, if you don't know who L.A. Guns is, look up some of their early stuff. It's oh, Jesus. Jesus. Look them up. Go- Google who, L.A. Yeah, Guns. Google L.A. Guns early stuff. <laughs> 80s. WWF. Um, like anyone needs to be this... prompted to do that. You know, like, I don't know who L.A. Guns is. How do I learn about them? How do I find oh, out? Oh, Zach said look them up. Okay. I'll do that. Thank you. Oh, man. All right. I'm getting tag teamed. If you don't. I'm getting tag team right now. It's, it's out of love, man. It's out of love. <laughs> I know, I know. I love but, it. I love it. Have you heard of the Screaming Jets? No. If you don't know who they are, you know, I'm going to look them up. I'm going to look them up. Can I, is that so, what you're going to say? Look them up? No, I was going to say, of course you haven't heard of them, uh, but they are an Austra- Australian hard rock band. Probably, Screaming I'm thinking Jets? Simon Winsor had something to do with getting them on the album. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. How about the Kentucky Headhunters? Have you heard of the Kentucky Headhunters? I uh, know. I'm going to look them up. Hang on a minute. You're going to tell me to look them up, right? No, because I'm, I'm wondering, because they had a one-hit wonder. All right. Hold on a minute. Do you know what the, the hit was? Yeah, so... Um, oh. They were also known as Itchy Brother. That's their, their other name. Itchy Brother. They covered a song called Oh, Lonesome Me. Uh, that was their big country song. But um, they were like a decent country rock band. They were kind of... They have a good following, but... Definitely not someone I would put on the Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man soundtrack, like featured, right? Of course, Waylon Jennings. You guys know Waylon Jennings. What about Black Eyed Susan? Black Eyed Susan? Do mm. anything for you? Mm. I know Black Eyed Peas. Oh. Nope. And finally, Vanessa Williams obviously has a song on the album. <laughs> and I will say, Vanessa Williams has one of those god awful. And I'm not going to lie, her songs she sang in the movie were god awful. Yeah, they were. They were just shy of Brain Smasher level songs. <laughs> Brain Smasher, yeah, the Andrew Dice yeah. Clay movie. Yeah, which had Dad. the most god awful, like, operatic soundtrack I'd ever heard. Well, one of the songs so is like, she's like, and I walk into the place, and you're there with me, and I say, hey, hey, and it keeps going going on and you're like when are you gonna start the chorus of the song because this is the verse that goes on too long (laughs) but what can i tell my heart it's easy to say 
kill me. Yeah. I'm going to look up the lyrics. It's bad. No, I mean, again. Dustin, feel free to look it up, but I'm not looking. Oofa, doofa. But, okay. you know, um, I didn't yeah. know, you know, like all those people you're saying, but I will say like in the movie, I liked the music that they used. I liked when they used it, but nothing stood out to me probably as much as Wanted Dead or Alive and Hardline no. by Waylon Jennings. Everything else kind of was seemed to be either they used it in uh, either like background music or uh, a diegetic music where it's in the actual you know world itself or something. Um, but I never had a problem with any of the stuff except for vanessa williams singing and i I don't think she's a bad singer it's the songs that they picked for her to sing on camera were just songs are bad boring it's in lame like they didn't have any like range to them or anything they just felt very flat or maybe they did later in the song but they cut it and they only used the parts that were like super bland so iron eagle you know obviously featured queen with one of their biggest songs of all time one vision and then and we've brought, we Dustin and I brought up Iron Eagle many times on this show, um, but the other songs, regardless of not, or whether or not they're on the soundtrack, the rest of the songs in Iron Eagle are really good. You know, so you can knock it out of the park with one song, and the next song's just as good as the one after that. Right? This movie knocks it out of the park with "Wanted Dead or Alive," classic song, and then proceeds to like kind of give us these these kind of like B-side songs throughout the whole uh, movie with the exception of the ballad, you know, by Waylon Jennings, right? And it, and and even the last song in the movie, you would think they're going to hit it out of the park with like a big name artist, but they don't. They just, it's more like a bunt and they, they run to first, you know, it's like very tame um, in my opinion. So it's, it's so again, this goes with the theme of the movie. There's letdowns throughout, but the one song that stands out, Wanted Dead or Alive, just like, bam, you know, at least if, if you're going to if you're going to welcome in this world, welcoming in, you get welcomed in in a very good way, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, t- totally, totally agree. It's it's the highlight. They the movie blows its wad in the first five minutes of, right away. I mean, seriously. But isn't that life? <laughs> It is life. <laughs> can I can I tell you guys some fun facts from 1991 or some uh, yeah. little trivia? Yeah. Well, okay, real quick, um, uh, where were you? 91, I guess. Was I in middle school at that point? Were you guys in high school at that point? I think I was a freshman uh, in high school. 91 was middle school. Okay. Yeah, I think it was middle school yeah. for me, too. Am I the oldest one in the group? I think I am. So for everyone wondering, we will be doing a what does Dustin and Corey know on our Patreon exclusive uh, series, What Does Dustin Know? So get ready for that. Go to our Patreon, subscribe to our Patreon, check it out. If you're not a member, check out our Patreon because, again, we've got a lot of great content on there. So much. It's just overflowing with content. And it's not just one hit song like Wanted Dead or Alive. It's just tons of great stuff on there. So so go to our Patreon, Patreon slash $2 late fee, and check out the content that we have for $2 late fee. And while you're at it, go over to podcasting after dark's Patreon page and check out their content too, because it's really good. Uh, I'm on it as well and I can vouch for it. It's great. You're on their content. I'm on, I'm on that content. I'm on that content. Do they know that? Do they, do they allow you to do you guys know that? Yeah. Would you like some more content with your content? If you don't know what podcasting after dark is guys, look it up. (laughs) Google it. Google it. Fun facts, 1991. Are you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. 
1991, because Corey, having Corey on here is very special. And thank you again, Corey, oh, for being on our show. Oh, thank, thank we love you, you brother. Um, but Corey's a big comic book guy. I dabble in comics. Dustin, were you a comic book guy back in the 90s? I was in the 90s, yes. Did you have a favorite comic series in the 90s? Um, my favorite comic series, this is actually kind of dark, but my favorite comic series was this was this comic series called Vigilante. Oh, okay. Um, and you, so obviously you watch Peacemaker, right? I haven't. I haven't yet. He's in it. Oh, I, I, oh Vigilante appears in Peacemaker? He's like one of the main characters. He is? Yeah. Oh my God. I had no idea. <laughs> Whether he's like you remember him is another thing, but his costume looks exactly oh, dude. correct. I, got, I totally got to see that. Yeah. And like they're... They're epic. Um, just, yeah, that was like the first comic where I'm like, man, this is so fucked up. It's all fucked up. Were you a DC guy uh, over Marvel? No, not at all. I had all the Marvel. Okay, okay. Yeah, back in the 90s, X-Men. I was mostly doing the Dark Horse stuff, the the movies, the movie stuff, yep. the Aliens, Predator, Terminator stuff, you know. I got to watch Peacemaker yeah, I mean, immediately. Dude, you do. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, you got it's really good. It is. It's one. It's it, honestly, it's one of the best shows I've seen in a long time. Really? Yeah. It's yes. really well done. John it's Cena. Really done. Awesome. Okay. So in 1991, on the comic book tip, the Marvel Infinity Gauntlet series started in yeah. 1991. Nice. Okay. I'd say culturally, uh, that's probably one of the biggest storylines ever because of what we have today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And probably. Huge. Probably peak MCU. I, I don't know if they'll ever be able to to touch that again. I think that was huge. And I remember that. I remember when it was in the comics. That was such a big deal, man. Thanos and everything. The Mad Titan. I read all that shit. Corey, do you, can you compare the two? Uh, do you like the movie more than the series or the, the, the comic books more? You know, than, it's I mean, been... Or can, can you even do that? Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so different. But at this point, honestly, I, I'd watch the movies. I, I like the MCU. I do. And I think they did a, a great job of distilling characters down to where they need to be without all the baggage and stuff. So if, like, if you never read Infinity Gauntlet, you've never seen the movies, I'd just watch the movies. Yeah. I, I I agree. I didn't read all of the Infinity Infinity Gauntlet series, but I I love the movie series because a lot of times too you had to like read the tie in comics and everything to get and of course that's what they wanted you to do. Oh. But you know, I learned at a young age, you know, sometimes these crossover events are, are eh, okay. This that one was one of the better ones though. <laughs> I like Dustin looks up, it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did, I did, I I uh, it's 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 interesting now because at a certain point. I just, it was probably in high school. I think I just stopped keeping up with everything. Um, I guess I just didn't feel like I had the time. But I recently kind of reunited with my comic book collection oh, and cool. was kind of rereading some of that stuff. And then knowing like how things have manifested in the current, you know, scape of things with stories and certain characters. And then you, you go back and you're like, Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. So just even, you know, going back into the old Captain America comics and, and realizing like how many different Captain Americas there were, you know, like, and I just forgotten like, Oh my God, there's so many guys. (laughs) Dustin, are your comics bagged and backboarded? No. Oh, Oh, Dustin, no. Dustin, How for shame. No, nope. shame. They're just in a box. 
Shame. <laughs> oh God. Are they in a comic box at least? One of the you know non-acid cardboard you know comic box? No, no, it's just, just regular box. Oh Mm-mm. God, boy, oh, boy. my heart hurts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I can ship them to you, and you can cry. Oh, you can cry. They probably get Corey. They probably have like the corners all bent. Yeah, in and, and it's all yellow and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, they weren't in terrible shape. Some of them I had kind of bagged up to kind of protect from the, from light yes. um, good for you but uh yeah yeah it is <laughs> but uh yeah what was my point oh just like the whole aspect of captain america being kind of disowned by america for a little bit or like just losing his uh connection kind of yeah. going solo as just the captain for a little bit yeah and, yeah, and he was also when he was U.S. agent too. He had the black uh, suit the black, on and everything, the and then yep. yeah, and then the other John Walker uh, was was Captain America at the time. It was crazy Captain America. That yep. was actually when I was a kid. That was the Captain America I was reading was the John Walker Captain oh, okay. America, and he was he was oh, cool. he, just, he was brutal. He killed the shit out of just everybody. Yeah, loved it. Well, I'm going to keep on the um, animated tip with some cartoons. 1991 was a big year for cartoons. And again, having Corey on the show, and I know Corey is a big fan of this cartoon. That's why I brought it up. In March of 1991, The Toxic Crusaders premiered. Only lasted 13 episodes, but Troma Pictures (laughs) released the Toxic Avenger in the 80s, and they made a cartoon about it in 1991. An almost X-rated movie gets a cartoon (laughs) about fighting crime and saving the environment in a a roundabout way. And a comic book, uh, I think a miniseries. Um, Comic book, action figures, board game, which I own, the action figures in the board game. Um, So Yeah, many things. So I am... Weirdly, not a big trauma guy. I'm not uh, a Toxic Avenger fan, but I was a super fan of the cartoon. I loved the design. I loved the colors. Toxic Crusaders, never watched. I was never into Toxic Avenger, but I loved that cartoon so much. Dustin, did you watch Toxic Crusaders? Mm. Toxic Crusaders. That theme song kicks ass. It's it's actually a, uh, an amazing theme song. It's so good. Dustin, were you aware of its existence, the Toxic Crusaders? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna should I look it up because I don't know what it is. <laughs> you want to yeah. do it? Um, I have a feeling on podcasting after dark, Corey and I will cover Toxic Crusaders with Diallo on our TV Obscura. But sure. I just briefly want to say that this cartoon, uh, like the, the there's no way it would have got made today. Um, but the fact that it did get made, the fact that it ex- it exists for 13 episodes, it's it's really funny. It's well written. Um, 
Guys, if you don't know Toxic Crusaders, don't, don't, go uh, don't, go type in. Don't go. Don't <laughs> go ahead. Okay, were you serious? Oh, was that no. a joke? Okay. No, I was fucking with you. I was like, "What's happening? Why is he doing? Why is he really doing it?" Go type in T O X I C. That's how you spell toxic. For those of you that are wondering, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Anyways, Toxic Crusaders. Oh, yeah, Greg that Berger. premiered okay. in March of '91. Nice. Last little thing I'm going to bring up is a sports thing. Um, and again, before I bring it up. If you go to our Patreon, when we do What Does Dustin and Corey Know, uh, it's going to be more fun facts about 1991. There's going to be some Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man trivia questions as well. Just a few, but I want to see if I can stump these guys. I have a feeling I won't because it's in the 90s and Dustin is gold in the 90s. Uh, Last thing I'm going to mention, sports in 1991. The Minnesota Twins won the World Series that year in Game 7 against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, It it won all seven games. And it's considered one of the greatest World Series of all time. Did you guys watch that World Series, the Minnesota Twins and the Atlanta Braves? Mm, Are we talking football? We're talking talking (laughs) baseball. (laughs) No. No? You didn't watch that? Dustin, did you watch it? I didn't watch it, no. Really? I was like a big Braves fan. I liked David Justice at the time. I grew up in Maryland, so we were a, an Orioles household, and uh, you know, not much happened there. So, <laughs> well, I I I thought it was fantastic, and uh, it's it it's considered one of the greatest World Series of all time, according to many sports writers and such. I I have fond memories of going to baseball games with my grandfather, being bored out of my mind while I was there. But I loved oh, like you oh. know being with my grandfather. I love that, but I I hate baseball so much. Okay, okay. Um, well, yeah. Uh, oh my god, I have so much to say. I I feel like um, Corey, I agree with you hundred percent. I feel like baseball is the only sport where you can leave. For 45 Jesus. minutes, come back, yeah, nothing can. has changed. <laughs> Nothing's changed. And there have been many times where I've been at a baseball game live where I just want to not be there. <laughs> yes, that's every baseball <laughs> like, game I'm it's, at. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm good for like the first seven innings and then I'm yeah. like, I <laughs> don't want to be here. And then looking up and being like, I could be here forever. I could be here forever. And I've yep. been to one in lots of, uh, you know, extra innings. And I'm just like, yeah, I was, I was at, I think, I think I was at the longest game recorded ever or or something it was like close to you know where i was like we got here it's just yeah it's it's it was like a six hour endeavor and that's just too long i just don't think sporting events should be that long i don't think anything should think should be that long um but zach i love that you like have nothing to do with baseball now you don't whatever and you're like i like i love that series it was great like what I was I was a huge baseball fan in 1991. I, huge. But what happened? That doesn't make any sense. I really well. Okay, so the reason I was was because I was because Mickey Rourke was like wearing a a Twins jersey in a movie. No, I was a big Braves fan. I love the Braves, and I love the Braves because uh, I was a big wrestling fan, as you guys know. Uh, my favorite brand of wrestling was NWA, WCW, and it was on TBS. So in between commercial breaks, all they did was promote the Braves, and the Braves were on fire in the 90s. And David Justice was like a cool-looking dude. Um, 
again, he was a cool looking dude. I'm like, that guy looks cool. I'm going to follow that team. The Braves were a great baseball team. They they should have won the World Series. I'm surprised they didn't. And I think they won the one after that, perhaps. But, you know, Ted Turner's like, I'm going to put together the best baseball team on the planet because he wanted to make the best of everything, right? The yeah. best wrestling organization, the best cable broadcast network, the best baseball team. And I, I got hooked into it, hook, line, and sinker. I had a tomahawk, a foam tomahawk, and I would, like, wave it and uh, – at the screen, I had a starter jacket, a Braves starter jacket back in the day. Is, is You said, is that Minnesota? Is it Minnesota Braves? Atlanta. Well, a- Atlanta Braves. Atlanta. But, Atlanta but Braves. just one and season? You were into baseball? No, I was Oh, I was always a, a diehard Detroit Tiger fan. And I knew that. Then, or, or Detroit. I thought you were a Detroit Lions guy. Well, I am Lions for football okay, for sure. You're, okay, you're right. But then the, and then I was a Tiger fan. My favorite baseball player is Kirk Gibson. Then Kirk Gibson went to the Dodgers. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm a Dodger fan too because he's on that team and I love them and I love Kirk Gibson. And then they won the World Series and against the, uh, you know, the A's. And for a minute, my family was a big baseball family. My my stepdad was a big San Francisco Giants guy, and so we watched baseball all the time. It was always on, and I just got like kind of you know indoctrinated into it. I've never heard Zach talk about a sport not wrestling for this long and and you're doing great buddy like you sound great i can't talk about any sport for as long as you are right now (laughs) i had a huge baseball collection uh baseball card collection did you have the starting lineup toys i had the starting lineup figures i still have my kirk gibson starting lineup figure um i had the bat the basketball ones i mean but dustin and i've talked about basketball but yeah basketball baseball so here's the thing why do you why did you abandon it um well it was my way of also fitting in at school because everybody at school, junior high and high school, it was like I just wanted to survive. And I couldn't admit uh, that I was still play with toys because I'd be called, you know, words like you can't even say anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't admit that I like to watch wrestling because there was like one other kid that did um, and maybe one or two other kids. And then everybody was like, this shit's fake and this is so stupid. And again, it was like... I was going to be lumped into the stupid category mm. if I liked anything that was remotely different than mainstream. So I got into everything. My mom fully supported that. You know, she went out and bought me the hundred dollar starter jacket and uh, and bought me the the That's new nice. era hats so I could like fit in. She was trying to support me in that way. God bless her. You know, and but really, I just I wish I had a voice to be like, no, fuck you guys. I like this stuff, and that's all that matters. That's why I want to try and raise my son that way, where it's like it doesn't matter what other people think. If you like it, you like yeah. it. But I also you know? I don't I don't think it's possible to to do that at that age. I, I think it's impossible. No, I don't think I don't think it is because you're you're gonna be, you know, um, you know, an outcast. Yeah, I think the '80s, early '90s, I think are, are potentially worse than they are now uh, in that in that way. Yeah. Um, but man, oh man, it was like I was fighting against that on a daily basis, hiding the music that I listened yeah. to because I didn't want to be called. You know, we talked about. Yeah, that but before. but I just I just don't think that you like it's easy to look back now and be like, oh, I wish I had stood up for my stuff. But things would have been so much worse. Oh, totally. No, I agree. You can't, and you could, and you might not like those things because of that. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, I'm totally. sacrificing myself for this dumb stuff. You would have been ripping posters off the wall. You would have been like, you know. But I am surprised that not more kids liked wrestling. 
I'm yeah. surprised with too. You. And yeah. in that's 91, also that's a, yeah. that's like 91 is right before yeah. that stone cold explosion. Yep. I mean, wrestling goes mainstream in like yep. four, three or four years. Wrestling goes mainstream. It went mainstream. Uh, that, and that's when I got, that's when I abandoned wrestling for a bit. When, like, when it nah, went I'm mainstream. Not. Yeah. When it went mainstream, that's when I was like, nah, I'm not into it. For, I felt forced for years to not like this stuff. Yeah. And now everybody likes it. Everybody's wearing, rocking their Stone Cold 316 shirts. And I'm just like, wait, what? Now you guys like it? Oh, now it's cool? Now it's real, quote unquote? You, you were the original wrestling yeah. hipster. Ahead of your time. Totally. Because you look at that and you, you look at that and you're like, well, yeah, you know what? Uh, like people rock the old school WWF t-shirts now. Like it's no big thing. And I love that. Mm. I love that people are representing now, but back in the day, forget about it. So anyways, it, I guess it all comes back to the point that I still like Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man, even though you guys kind of, you know, don't. So there you go. <laughs> and I'm still going to break it down, even though I don't love it. <laughs> yes. So everybody, look, in two weeks, we're going to have a breakdown of scene by scene. Just like we did with with the Wraith. Dustin's going to be on on for the whole shebang. The whole, the whole shebang. Ride. I'm going <laughs> to, if we start at 2 p.m., I'll be good. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> start after start lunch, early. So I can make it through. <laughs> it is, and as long as I can make you snort laugh like I did with uh, On the Wraith, I will be, I wear that as a as a point of pride uh, when, when Zach was like, yeah, I always wanted to live in, in Tucson or whatever because of this movie. And I was like, and then oh, you right. laughed and I was like was that was good that was my favorite thing that I've done <laughs> oh, that's amazing that's and then amazing. don't forget we'll have Chelsea Field on soon after um, by the way Chelsea Field she was Tila in Masters of the Universe and uh, we may have Tila call in to the show and leave a little fun at bumper the, at the two hour mark we mentioned that she's Tila that's great <laughs> <laughs> that's great Chelsea Field hey and by Check the way out. if you guys don't know um what Harley and the Davidson, Harley Davidson, the Marble Man is. Look it up on Google. <laughs> uh, look it up on Google. <laughs> By the way, it's uh, free, I think, on on Amazon Prime or HBO, HBO. Go or one of those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So go check it out. Uh, if you haven't seen it, let us know your thoughts. If you want to shit on it or not, go to our Instagram and, and, and let us know. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Continue to support the show if you can in in your own personal way. And thank you for doing that. Podcasting After Dark and $2 Late Fee are <laughs> your own personal you know, way. You what does that mean? <laughs> I bow to the shrine of $2 Late Fee and Podcasting After Dark. <laughs> Corey, thanks for being on the show, yes, brother. Yes, Corey. Thanks for coming uh, by. Oh, this is wonderful. I love it, guys. This is uh, this yearly crossover event. I I look forward to it. I we're just starting. I'm I'm excited to get into it. Even with the negative thoughts, I think that it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Even with those dark negative thoughts, I think uh, breaking down Harley Davis and the Marlboro Man is going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to pick out some some gold. I think we're going to pick out some trash, and maybe we're going to piece some things together that we haven't seen before. But regardless, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an absolute blast. And thank you guys, as always, for you know everything, the, the love and support we, you give us and, and, and everything. I just I love our friendship. So this is a lot of fun. Feelings mutual. D- ditto. Th- thank you, Dustin. Because <laughs> we're wanted. Ditto Dustin or alive. Oh, Corey walks these streets. Yeah. On six strings <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, guys, play us out. 
just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.